This is a mob world. This is a mob world. We continue our conversation with Steve Stankin, the DJ who originally suggested the modern rock format to the station owners and became program director when the station did switch to a modern rock format in 1983. You were only there a couple of years and then you moved right. on. So where did you go after that? Um, when I left, a meet, so I left in about 85. I can't even remember the actual chronology. I think I left sometime in 85. So I was there for probably three years total. I think I started in 82 prior to the switch, and then we made the switch, and I was there up until about 85. Um, I left to go work at some video production companies that did uh, closed-circuit uh, video for racetracks around the country. And uh, I worked there and then um so i was working kind of the local racetrack circuit uh in cincinnati and lexington louisville and then um while i was doing that i also uh just kind of started part-time working at everybody's records for fun because you know i'm total music head so the idea of getting paid to work at a record store seemed like a pretty good idea (laughs) so uh i did that and then i actually ended up working full-time at everybody's for a couple of years um, and during that time, uh, I, I uh, also got a job at WNOP playing jazz for about a year. So there was a time there when I was working at a, uh, at everybody's doing the uh, racetrack thing, basic, um, close circuit production, mm-hmm. tele- television production, uh, and uh, doing NOP uh, on the air. I was on the air and doing production for them too. So that was kind of a busy period. I had three jobs. And then I decided that the three-job thing wasn't working out. So I kind of started to drop some of them, kind of gradually drop some of the jobs. And then I got hired at EBN. I worked at EBN for six years. Yeah. And yeah. You, you were on there on the, the Dawn Patrol. Yep. And I would consider that the golden era of the Dawn Patrol because you and Bob Berry, Bob the producer, were on there. Yeah. And I feel like from a humor standpoint, just really elevated the game. So I started there, yeah, I, I got really lucky to be part of that. I started there, um, just actually when I started there, it was part-time in 89, I was doing weekends. And then um, a, a full-time slot opened up, and um, I took over the 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. slot on EBN. Uh, and then I just kind of, as, as people dropped it, you know, people moved on, and I just kind of kept moving down. And I was doing middays, and Tom Owens, the PD, um, asked me if I wanted to go and work with the Dawn Patrol as kind of a like writer producer, um, and I was like, to your point, that was a great era with the Dawn Patrol. So mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, man, I'll I'll be part of that, you know. So um, it was really a lot of fun um, working with Bob and Eddie and Robin uh, Robin to start, and then they kind of moved her over onto another station and brought in Vic Henley, and Vic was really cool to work with. So yeah, that was a lot of fun. I was. It was uh, good times, good yeah. radio times. And I also remember you being the voice of everybody's records in the commercials too, as well. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I did. I did. I did her spots for uh, for a number of years after after I left. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's I mean, we, you know, like the Breatharian. I remember yeah. that. The Breatharian. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's a, and the vintage, the vintage baseball card. There was a baseball player on the Reds. Right. It, oh yes, I forgot about Wayne that. Wayne Franchicki. Lane Krenchicki, yeah. yeah. I think you mentioned yeah, the Breath, yeah. 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 Breatharian, though, I do remember that yeah. spot. That was one of my favorites. Those, um, it's weird because those spots ran forever, which is kind of kind of sad. I, I need to, I haven't talked to Marilyn Kirby, who owns everybody's for a long time, but uh, 
yeah, I think basically like she got to the point where she didn't really want to pay me anymore. So she just kept, <laughs> she just kept running the same old spots. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, if we had to do a new spot, she'd have to pay me to do another one. So uh, why bother? Let's just run the same one for five years. So at some point you wised up and said, I'm getting out of this radio racket. Yeah, I did Ninety in about 95. I, I mean, um, I had kind of gone as far as I was going to go here in town. Yep. You know, where else was I going to go? Yeah. And um, I was working, you know, in, in kind of, so doing middays and then doing, uh, I did two hours of middays. Even after I went and worked with the Dawn Patrol, I still did two hours of middays on EBM from 10 a.m. to noon. Um, but I wasn't going to go any farther at EBM. I mean, that's, you know, Robin and Eddie and, or Vic and Bob, they weren't going anywhere. Yeah. So, um, and you can only play so many ACDC songs before it's just like, that's absolutely correct. <laughs> that is absolutely correct. So, um, yeah, I mean, really, if I wanted to stick around a radio, I would have pretty much had to have moved out of the, out of the city. Yeah. And at that point, I met, um, who's now my wife, and I was like, do I want to kind of start to get into the whole radio uh, game where... Roulette, know, is more what I called it. Yeah, radio no roulette, worries. market to market to market mm-hmm. to market. Yeah. And like, that's, I had no interest in doing that. And by this time, I was like 30... I was 95, so I was 36 years old. So I was, I'm not going to get on this train now. Yeah. So um, I had started doing some freelance advertising writing while I was at EBN for some friends who worked for um, a friend of mine who's a uh, producer, worked for a um, video production company and had me doing some projects. And I, I called him and I said, hey, man, I'm thinking about getting out of radio. Is there enough freelance work around town um, to have me do this full time? And he was like, yeah, I think there's probably is, you know. So I... Um, Kicked it around for a couple of months and and got out of it and hung up my shingle as a freelance writer in 1995 and basically I've been working in advertising ever since. Nice. Yeah. Do you ever feel like I'm a stalker of you because you were at 97X, right? And then I was at 97X. That's true. And then you worked in the at the racetracks. I did in the, in the closed circuit video department. Yes. And then when you were leaving that gig, you mentioned to me, "It's like, hey, I'm probably going to give up this gig," and it's like I needed to mm-hmm. supplement my 97X salary. Yeah. So I kind of took over that job. Yes, you did. At closed circuit, and then you went down to the Clear Channel or J Core stations. Yes. And then I went down to the <laughs> Clear know. Channel and J Core stations. Yeah. You met your wife at those stations. Yes. I met my wife at those stations. It's crazy, it's, isn't it? It's it's a little bit freaky. Yeah, it is. And a and then bit you went into advertising. Right. And I went into advertising. Yeah. Right? I know we followed a weird I you know what? I feel like I, I've I've had like a snow plow and I've plowed <laughs> I've plowed the path. Yeah, I mean, your shoulders must be tired because you've been carrying me for like 30 years now. I'm going to break the, uh, another myth. You guys actually live together. That's why he's down here in the party, don't you? <laughs> you think the shack had no phone, really. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, by the way, for the racetrack circuit that you were working, was yeah. that kind of like the vaudeville circuit? I was just wondering. Did you, <laughs> very very much and so. slappy and a lot of uh, Catskill work? There were quite a bit. There was a, there was a giant hook where they would grab you and pull you off stage. Very much the circuit, yeah. I, I will tell one story. So after Steve had left, so yeah. my second job in video and 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 usually i would work one of the cameras it was really for the for the racing stewards to make sure the horses weren't bumping there was no 
foul play going on. Right. So I had the straight on camera down the stretch. But one time somebody was out on the weekend, so I had to work in the control room and I had to do the playback for each race. And you try to set it up so you know you'd roll a little bit past the end of the race and then back it up to get them back to back for the highlight show. This yeah. is pre-digital. Yes, exactly. So there was one race where two horses are going down the stretch and one horse tries to bite the other horse. Wow. So, so the boss of the production company, Carrie, we went, like, wow, that's like, that's n- never happens. We can, you know, so let, let's show it, play it back. And I had rewound it too far and I'd cut off the end of the race before the horse was biting. Yeah. Oh. I'm surprised I survived that. He really should have fired me right <laughs> there. Wow. Uh, yeah. Damien can screw anything up. So. <laughs> Sorry about that. Now, what else did you do at 97X? Because you couldn't just be a jock and a PD. You had to have like five hats or was that just all you, you were just program director and a jock and that was it? Um, I used to do some production. Okay. Um, at, at that point, I'm trying to think, we didn't ever really have a full-time production guy. Everybody did some. Uh, I used to do a lot of the, the uh, pre-recorded promos and stuff. Mm-hmm. I would cut that stuff. Um, yeah, so that was. I'm trying to think if I did really anything else. That was probably a PD jock production. Yeah, yeah. Did you do any any sort of live events like later there was rock and bowl or yeah. uh, extra beats on the river? Did you do that sort of stuff? Yeah. So in the early days, um, I think that was part of a big part of like Doug's um, sales plan was to you know he could sell that kind of stuff in. Yeah. So we would do a lot of live gigs from uh, the bars uptown, and um, I would host some of those things. One of the rare times, I always got along, Doug and I always got along really well, but one of the rare times that I had a little dust up with him is he had booked me to do, to be like a disc jockey at some club in Hamilton. <laughs> and it was a. Uh, I so, don't like how this is going. All right, so this is early, this is early days. And this, um, I can't remember the name of this place. But it was uh, it was kind of the Butler County in the day, like in the late 70s, mid to late 70s. You would hear this place advertised on Cincinnati radio. And it was kind of the place where in, in Butler County where um, disco was played. Okay. okay? And I, I can't remember the name of it, but um, it was a it was a barn. It was this big, giant place. And uh, so it had that kind of reputation, right? It's kind of the disco palace. And Doug somehow sold some time to this place and, and sold him that we were going to do like a new wave night and play like new wave dance music, right? <laughs> and I'm like, and, and, and he said, uh, he said, and normally you would get paid a little bit to do these gigs. Yeah. Like, and I mean a little bit, like maybe 20 bucks. Oh, no, we get it. We weren't there. We yeah. get it. Right. So, um, so he said, uh, I'm trying to think of his exact, the way he exact positioned this. But he said, yeah, man, um, so I'm going to have you do this gig at, uh, at such and such place. And it's, um, it's just, uh, I think he called it station. It's a station promo. It's a station promo. So, um, you know, you're not, you're not going to get paid. And uh, I was like, hold on. What, what did you call that? He said, you know, station promo. Station promo. So i like, you know, we're not, we're not, you're not going to get paid. I'm like, if I don't get paid, I'm not going to do it. And, and so this, this was a, I've never seen, actually in the three years that I was there, it was probably the maddest he had ever been. So I think I ended up, I did it. I remember I did it. And I ended up getting whatever my, you know, 20 or 25 bucks. 
But I do remember like, you know, here, so we were in this disco palace and I mean, it was this big barn of a building and there was the big jock booth and there was a spinning ball and there was probably 20 people there, you know, it was like <laughs> not, um, so you're, not you're saying that Hamilton is not a hotbed for new wave. It was not at that time. Okay. No, it, it is now. You know, the strange thing, if you really think about Butler County though, like, Butler County is a whole other thing now. Like Butler County was farmland in mm-hmm. 1983. Yeah. yeah. And so like you you had to kind of get into you had to book you had to you had to rely on the students and you had to hope that people from Cincinnati who had heard about the station were going out of their way to listen to it. People in the western suburbs. I remember, I don't know, I'm sure you guys too. Like I remember getting calls from Clifton where people say, "Yeah, man, I rigged my antenna," yeah. you know, crazy stuff like that. But now, I mean, you could probably make a business model out of a rock station that just, well, not anymore because nobody listens to radio in the way that they did, <laughs> yeah. you know, but um, but just because of the way Butler County has exploded, it's like a whole other thing, now, yeah. you know, yeah. which certainly wasn't then. So how did you know it was working? I know you said it was more of a soft shift yeah. a little bit to become the future of rock and roll, but how did you know it was working? You can kind of, I mean, I think we kind of started to feel um, some momentum. You start to get, you you can kind of feel it, you know. Um, And we got into, um, we were able to do some, um, tie tie the station to, you know, bands that came through and that kind of thing. So that, that helped a little bit. I remember I swung a deal with, uh, and Doug was not happy. Doug, he was very good about it, but... um, uh, there was, a, you know, just a boatload of shows happening at the Jockey Club at the time. And mm-hmm. this is early early to mid-80s. And so Bill Least, the guy who booked all the shows, I knew Bill a little bit. And so um, I would get swing deals with him to uh, give away. If we would mention the shows, and I mean just like mention them, um, and he would give us tickets to give away to his the shows that he was booking. Yeah. And so um, you could, if you went to those shows, you could kind of feel that people started to know what 97X was, that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know? and so you could kind of start to feel the momentum building. But, um, you know, by 85, like when, you know, when I left, like I felt like I couldn't figure out in my head where this was all going. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like, how big can this really get? The stick, you know, you guys are making fun of the, the stick. I mean, yeah. the stick can only go so far. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and I had heard, I think Doug even told me at some stations, like, I think Randy Michaels had offered him the 96 Rock stick at some point, and Doug uh, turned it down, which, uh, you know, I don't know in the long run what that would have meant for the station, but... Uh, I don't know, did you guys ever hear anything about that? Yeah, no. I mean, you know, like every once in a while, well, like I think it was always kind of our wish. It's like, oh, geez, you know, isn't there another antenna, bigger, yeah. you know, stronger, more power? Because we felt like there was enough of an audience there. There was a thirst for it. Like you said, people yeah. in Clifton, you know, yeah. wrapping tinfoil around their boombox antenna. Yeah. It's like if we could just tap into that. But, I mean, I think really in hindsight, realistically, you know, out of 100 people that listened to radio at that time, like when you're talking about modern rock, it's a pretty small piece of yeah, the pie. Yeah, it was. So we would have made the people that already heard us staticky happier because it would have come in clearer. But I don't know how many more we would have picked up. Yeah, agreed. I and so that's kind of that's really one of the you know I realized well, 
this has been really cool. Like, if if somebody would have said to me that I was going to get the opportunity to program a you know a modern rock station and and a pioneering area, one too. I mean, yeah, you know, when I was twenty, whatever I would have been twenty three or something. Um, you know, it just it, it it was amazing to me. It was fantastic, but after doing it for three years, I, I kind of started to realize that this has probably gone as far as it's going to go. Yeah. Um, but truly, though, I mean, the station got better and better and better, and I think its reputation got better and better and better. So, I mean, from a aesthetic standpoint, um, it got much better. But from a listenership standpoint and kind of like if we were to do a, um, an evaluation of it from a real uh, like objective radio standpoint, like where it placed in the market and stuff, I, I would say it, it, you know, it, its profile increased some, but not much. To your point. Yeah. Yeah. I have one other uh, question. Um, did you hire Ken Gladwell too? I did not hire Ken. I knew Ken because yeah. Ken was a buddy of Dan Reed's. Yeah, okay. Uh, so he came after you. I thought he was around the same time. Yeah, so I mean, I, mean, I knew him, uh, and he used to hang around, and uh, I like Kenny a lot. I mean, um, yeah, he came. I don't know when. he. I think he might have been hired not long after I left. Okay. Uh, but yeah, he and Dan knew each other forever. They played on a band together, mm-hmm. like back even, you know, back in, when they were in high school. Um, so you now married, have kids. Yeah. And so do you tell them, hey, I created a radio station, you know, like I, I, I helped start this. No. Do they care? <laughs> they certainly wouldn't care. I can guarantee that. Like radio is a weird kind of foreign uh, medium, you know. Uh, they, they don't listen to radio. And, and the idea of like having kind of been part of, you know, the creation of a modern rock radio station in 1983 would mean absolutely nothing to them. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is always good to know, yeah. you know, yeah. as a father, as a yeah. parent, you know, it's like good to know where I stand yeah. in the pecking order. <laughs> well, well, we have a long-standing rule that we're supposed to be done after two Bella Lugosi's dead. I think yeah, we've moved I'm into sorry. three or four Bella Lugosi's yeah, dead. Well, you know, we'll make it a two-parter. You well, know? We can make it two, yeah, he is care. part of the Mount Rushmore of, <laughs> he is. of 97 Exit his kids are really excited about too. <laughs> right. so, tell us, tell us more stories, yeah. Daddy. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. So before before we sign off, I, I know you guys are going to talk to Robin Plan. So uh, and Robin, I just want to say hi. And that's uh, it was awesome. I'm, I can't wait to hear that episode. Yeah, we we can't either because yeah. we were supposed to talk to her actually before you showed up, yeah. but we had uh, technical difficulties here in the party dungeon. And if it makes you feel any better, she was excited to know that you were still alive. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. you you keep better. a very low profile. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure how to how to uh, take that. <laughs> very, I'm so happy you're, you're alive. alive. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, you, you got to get out more. I guess. Yeah, I guess so. Do yeah. you go to any shows anymore? Do you keep up with music? Uh, I. Try to keep up with music for sure. As far as getting out to shows, I would. That's not not a whole lot. I've been to a couple of shows maybe in the past couple of years, maybe a year and a half or something. Yeah, boring old man. I know. Boring old suburban I dad. I know. But the awesome thing, I mean, it's easy to. I mean, it's easy and hard to keep up with music, at least with Spotify. I mean, you can really stay on top of it, which is. Um, I mean, it's weird. It's kind of a paradox of choice, you know. Yep. Like, oh my God, what do I, what do I listen to? You know, it's crazy. But yeah, I try to keep up. Cool. 
my, my, my disappointment is with music now is something like Spotify. I, I, I would rely on a station like 97X, or when I was in college, I'd listen to XRT because I went to Purdue and could get XRT. Sure. Yeah. To tell me, hey, this is good. I mean, someone else qualified it with Spotify. You, you, there's no qualifiers besides their algorithms saying you like them, so you'll like this. Right. So I kind of miss having someone help guide me to what's good. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that's the yeah. one drawback of uh, that I really miss about radio. Yeah. And, and like, I, I did this crazy thing a couple of years ago where I, at the beginning of the, the year, it was like, okay, January 1, from here on in, every week, I'm going to look at allmusic.com. And uh, when they, you know, list the new releases for the week, I'm going to write down the ones that I think are interesting, and then I'm going to listen to these, and I'm going to really stay on top of, of what's going on. And um, so I, I did that, and by the time I hit February, like I had 150, you know, new releases on the list, and I had listened to maybe 10 of them. I was like, yeah, this isn't quite working. So it becomes a job. It does. It, it literally does. Or you know, you hit that weird thing where you, you hear it and you listen to it, and it's like, well, this is. This is really great, but now I got a 142 other records I have to listen to, and you never listen to it again. Yep. So it's not like yeah. back in the old days when you'd buy a record and like lived with it. Yep. You know, and yeah, it kind of takes on a whole other thing. True. So we will wrap up, but if you, you know, as you look back on your 97X days, you know, like what, how would you summarize those times, what they meant to you, and you know, like the music. Uh, well, uh, as far as the times and what they meant, it was really, it was a ton of fun. I mean, we had a ton of fun. It was, it was great. Like I said, I was a young guy. I was 23 or 24 years old programming a, uh, alternative rock radio station when there were only a hand, literally a handful of them in the country. Um, and you had no phone. <laughs> and I had no phone. So that was really but I had no phone but I had a microphone so there's a weird there there's a weird weird thing there um, so yeah it was great as far as the music goes um, you know there was a lot of great music I think at that in that period there was a lot of not so great music in that period too we played both the great and the not so great mm-hmm. yeah I mean that's that's been the case I mean across the board yeah. it's, the, it's the ones that are good and that stick in your head yeah and then the other ones, not so much. The yeah. bel cantos of the world. Yeah, bel canto comes right to mind. Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. Steve, thanks very much yeah. for, Thank for you taking guys. time out of your day to join us here. We appreciate it. Yeah, man. And uh, we'll have to do it again and get some more stories from the old days. Yeah, anytime, anytime. And then coming up, we have a rock block from Boston. Sweet. 97X. Whoa, 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 whoa. Thank you, Mr. DJ. The future of rock and roll. Thank you.